is the city that started it all. It's a beautiful day. What a priceless goal that could prove to be. He's going to unleash one. Oh! Sheffield Wednesday celebrate. Billy Sharp, you do not leave that man unmarked in the box. Sheffield United have the lead. the latest football news from Sheffield and beyond. This is Shoe Football Forum. A very good evening to you. Welcome along to Tuesday night's Football Forum here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music as well. Joseph Hadfield controlling play in the middle of the park. Josh Chapman and Connor Thorpe with the tactical skills to pay the bills on the wings. Evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Evening. It's the show where we discuss the Blades and the Owls and there's all the big talking points from across British football as well. So here's what's to come in the next hour. A bridge too far for United. The Blades exit the FA Cup at the quarterfinal stage for the second season running after a 2-0 defeat away at Chelsea. Was that please? Wednesday get their first win under new boss Darren with a 2-1 South Yorkshire derby victory over Barnsley. In the top stories, Newcastle completely off two. The Seagulls dump all over their visitors as Brighton seal a 3-0 victory to ease their relegation worries. And a tale of two halves, Gunners hammered and Hammers gunned down. Arsenal come from three down with West Ham, scoring five of the six in total, courtesy of two own goals, to settle for a 3-3 as we look back over the weekend's Premier League action. We also turn our attention to England for the first time in four months as the three lines kick off their World Cup qualifiers taking on San Marino, Albania and Poland. As of the round of unpredictable, how come I always get double figures and still end up losing? On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music and on your smart speaker. Alexa, play Shoe Football Forum. We are still Sheffield Hallam's number one football show. This is Football Forum. And it's live. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday evening. Great to have your company. And it's the uh, it's the second time in three series that we've hit episode 33. And um, funny enough, this, this time when we hit episode 33 last series, uh, it was the first of our isolation shows. Um, so uh, we've made progress and we're still talking proper football uh, rather than, what was it, Belarusian football or what have you? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, more of that to come in a little bit. But first up, it's our quiz question, and uh, it's Connor's turn to uh, to give us the bit of trivia this week. Yep. So we're looking for the lowest top scorers in the Premier League. There's two players that are on the uh, joint amount of goals, both playing for different clubs. Who are the lowest top scorers in the Premier League? Um, how many goals have they got, and what are the names of the players? So let me just get this straight, so I don't go off on a wild tangent. Pretty much, it's there's two players that play for two different clubs, and they are the they've scored the most. Oh, sorry, sorry. There's there's four players that play for three different clubs. I've right, didn't, didn't and they've the scored the most goals for their club, but they are that that sort of compared like, to example, other top scorers in the league, they are the lowest. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, because uh, I, I could have got that completely. So wrong. like, I think Ollie McBurney last season scored six, didn't he? And he was 
one of the lowest top scorers. I don't know if he was the lowest, but you, you know, if let's say he was for argument's sake, yeah. and the, the other top scorers have got seven, Oli McBurney would be the lowest. Yeah, that's not right. The I am on the right track then, and I think I've got one sorted straight away. Uh, so that is your uh, your question. Connor is looking for the four players that play for three different clubs uh, that have scored the most for their club this season. But if you put all the top scorers together, they have scored the fewest. So uh, that is your quiz question, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the show. Right, we're going to crack on with the action, and we're going to start this week with Sheffield Wednesday uh, because they had a South Yorkshire derby to focus on, and uh, they were taking on Barnsley, and uh, the Reds being one of the most informed teams in the league, and Wednesday picking up one point in their last God knows how many. I think you can see where this is going. Rob O'Neill was on the mic at Oakwell. And he does flick it well, actually, and Bannon. Has the chance to cross That's a great it. Ball. it well, Jordan in it Rhodes. goes. The goalkeeper won't keep that one out. It's a bullet header and Rhodes strikes again. But what a cross from Barry Ballon. Perfect cross really for a centre forward. And it's Rhodes who takes advantage of it. Barnsley fall behind here at Oakwell. Barnsley nil, Wednesday one. Wednesday won't get this ball, but Stars miscontrolled Chance. it. Palmer touches Still on. Onside. A chance Still for on. Windass. He runs through. He's going to slot it across and Rhodes yes. is there. Get in there. That's the second for Wednesday and so unselfish there for Windass. He could have taken it himself. No one would have blamed him, but he decided to pick out Rhodes on the floor and he side foots it home. And Wednesday have a second goal and lead Barnsley now by two goals to nil. In it goes towards Hamey. He wins a header. It's going to come back for Morris, who hits it. And they've got one back. And Barnsley thrown a lifeline. It's the substitute, Carlton Morris, who struck round about the penalty spot. And again, Wednesday concede. And now they could be in for an interesting finish, to say the least. It's now Barnsley 1, Wednesday 2. So Sheffield Wednesday travelling to Barnsley there. And with the Owls taking on their old friends, in Barnsley, we're calling on our old resident Reds expert once more. That's Lewis Robinson. Afternoon, mate. Good afternoon. Great to have you with us on the programme once again. And if we remember back to Thursday's programme, and we will have you back on next week to uh, to review it, when uh, most likely uh, Barnsley take another three points. Well, that's it now. You jinxed us. But yeah, we'll be, uh, we'll be on next week. <laughs> well, if I speak, I am in trouble, as Jose Mourinho once famously said. Uh, so I'll leave the action in the capable hands of Chappers. Yeah, and the big question is, is Sheffield Wednesday's form starting to turn a corner under Darren Moore away, with Oak, uh, away from Oakwell with a vital three points after two goals from Jordan Rhodes? In fact, it was Rhodes who came closest to open the scoring. A long ball over the top saw Brad Collins scramble and missed the ball completely as he rushed to the edge of his area. Rhodes tried to poke it in from distance, but he placed it just wide and couldn't quite break the deadlock. However, five minutes before half-time, he did indeed just do that. Barry Bannon fired across him from the left on the half-volley and Rhodes peeled away from defender Mads Anderson and rose highest to head home from close range. Wednesday were gifted a second early after the restart. Callum Styles got caught in possession in a dangerous area. Josh Windass picking up the loose ball and drove into the area before he squared to an unmarked road who tapped in to make it 2-0. Carlton Morris pulled one back for the Reds 12 minutes from time after his half volley took a deflection off a Wednesday man and left Joe Wildsmith rooted. But they held on to secure a vital three points um, in the fight for championship survival. 
Uh, 2-1 it finished and here is what manager Darren Moore had to say. Really pleased for, for everybody at the football club really to get the, the three points today. I think it was um, three much needed points today really. Um, you know, we spoke about coming here today at the start of the week. If we look back to like last Sunday with the three games, Sunday, Wednesday and today, we wanted to finish a week strongly and, and I thought we did that today. Um, looking at the performance, we knew we had to come here and be strong, we had to be resolute and we knew we had to uh, be dependable uh, and accountable and really in our performance and I thought the players showed that today and uh, I thought there was times in a frantic match that we put our foot on the ball and string and linked a couple of passes together and then when we did get it up the far end of the pitch uh, Jordan does what he does best and put the ball in the back of the net so I was really pleased for the squad today. So Darren Morton there talking after his side's 2-1 victory over their old foes Barnsley and uh, well Connor let's start with you a very rare win for Wednesday. That was Wednesday's first win since the 9th of February, can you believe? How does it feel after that one? Very good. Um, it, it was a much-needed win, I think. Um, you know, I made myself look a bit of an idiot the last on the last show when I predicted 4-0 to Barnsley, but it honestly felt like it was going to go in that direction. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's one of those results that you call a typical Wednesday result. You know, you, you're in a bad run. You're up against a team who are on a really good run. Uh, but we've just not really seen to have that much this season. You know, it's just been loss after loss, especially uh, in recent weeks. But this made a nice change. Um, I think we carried out the game plan really well. Um, we played in a bit of a different way because of, of how Barnsley was set up. Um, and we took our chances when they came. You know, there was that moment of quality from Barry Bannon, which which gave us the 1-0 lead. It was a a lovely cross into the head of Jordan Rhodes. And, you know, that's the Jordan Rhodes of old, getting in between defenders, great movement, lovely header as well to make it 1-0. Um, and then in the second half, I think, you know, obviously Callum Styles has been robbed there by Liam Palmer. In transition, we were brilliant. Barnsley's line was ridiculously high, but that's the way that's brought them success this season. Uh, but on Saturday, we managed to expose it quite a few times. And, that was exactly the case with the second goal. Palmer nicks it off Styles, and, and I think it was Windass who I was slating the other week for not making the right decision in the final third when he should have passed to Pelopese. Well, I think um, he's, he's learned his, from his ways there because he, he put it on a plate for Jordan Rhodes to make it two. From then on, he, I thought we defended fairly well, to be honest. I don't think we looked too much like conceding. I think, you know, the first 15 minutes were difficult. The Barnsley did put the pressure on. I think Solbauer had that guilt edge chance after three minutes where he somehow managed to put it over the bar. They had a perfectly legitimate goal ruled out for a foul, to be honest with you as well. I think we've got to be honest when we get the, the rub of the green with refereeing decisions because we'll all be up in arms when it goes against us. But I didn't see anything wrong with that. Maybe Lewis can explain to me why that was disallowed. But we did get a bit of luck there. Um, and like I say, fine margins providing that moment of quality at the right moment in, in the game. But I think we managed to cause them a, a decent amount of problems and more problems than most teams have caused them in, in the last few weeks. And that's pretty evident when you look at Barnsley's results. But, you know, just putting the ball in the, the classic corridor of uncertainty between the defensive line and the goalkeeper, Collins, who played as a sweeper-keeper, and he got caught out a few times by coming off his line. There was a chance that Rhodes had where he sort of took it round him and didn't manage to get it on target, but I think we caused havoc with with trying to play it in the in area, getting behind the high line. I did mention last week, although most of our predictions were wrong, that you know the way that we could hurt Barnsley is 
putting it in behind and Josh Windass running onto it. And Josh Windass did do that. Patterson won his physical battles playing just behind. And it was a, a really a really solid team performance where we've not played the way that Darren Moore will want us to play long-term, I'm pretty sure. Um, we've, we've been a bit more direct because of our Barnsley press. And I can see why they're doing so well, to be honest, because it must be very difficult to play against that because you just get no time on the ball at all. And I think we accepted that before the game. We, we decided to play more direct into the channels in behind and in it worked well. And Bannon is, is one of those players that usually doesn't shine in games like this. Um, but he did provide a couple of moments of quality where it's just one touch, feed it through, as opposed to having more touches of the ball. It was a frantic game. Um, I think both teams had 49% pass completion percentage, which is absolutely ridiculous. I've never seen, you know, a pass completion percentage from both teams be so low in the championship game. Um, you know, there wasn't many sort of passing moves. It was very frantic, um, pretty physical. But we got through it and we managed to hold on to a lead. And we always slide Wednesday off when we, when we don't manage to hold on to leads and you know, I think we should give credit when we have managed to see a game out on this occasion. And Lewis, we talk about our Wednesday, I want, you know, won a game since the 9th of February. In contrast, Barnsley before before the weekend hadn't lost a game since the 11th of February and that was against Chelsea in, in the FA Cup. You'd not actually lost a league game since January. You know, I guess it, it must be quite disappointing. But is it Quite unexpected, you know, if you were going to lose a game and Wednesday were going to win one, it was probably going to be this one, wasn't it, really? What were your thoughts on, on your performance from a from a Barnsley perspective? Yeah, I think it's you've got to give, got to give credit to Sheffield Wednesday. You know, they, they turned up on the day and they were the better team. Um, like you said, it, you don't think many people expected that to be the case, but it was. Um thought, like Connor mentioned there, Barry Bannon, he's got the potential to dictate the game. You may not have seen it as much recently in his career, but he, he certainly did. He certainly did on Saturday afternoon. You know, he um, spraying passes and, like Connor said, a fantastic ball in for Rhodes's header. And yeah, he, he, dictated, he dictated the game. And um, our midfield they didn't really compete. Um, surprisingly, thought Mowat being back was a boost, but he didn't. He didn't really seem to matter. Um, he, uh, Wednesday were better probably across all across all areas of the pitch, um, which is not something I can say often for Barnes over the last month uh, or two. But yeah, fair play, Sheffield Wednesday and. Um, I thought that, like you say, with the form of each side, that the game wasn't really ever over. Even at two, I thought Barnes could get back in this. And I thought the goal, but even the nature of the goal, it was just, it was a bit lucky. It was usually Wednesday who scored them against us, so it was nice to get a, a dodgy goal. But uh, now, you know, it, it was. Um, I always thought we had the potential to get back in the game, uh, but we never did. And as Connor said, fair play to Wednesday. You know, they're not often renowned for holding out. Um, in games this season and they've managed to do that against not to be not to be big headed but a good Barnsley side at the minute um, so fair play to Wednesday but I think from a Barnsley perspective you know we've got to keep this into perspective um, we're fifth in the league take all the emotion out of the game it's disappointing to lose to local rivals but end of the day we're fifth in the league it hasn't ruined our chances we're still, still in our own hands we've just got to I think the international break uh, will do us a world of good having especially with how we play, we need the rest. And um, yeah, it'd be good to get these two weeks under our belt to rest and recuperate. And then a big game against Reading, which is fifth versus sixth. So it's going to be a massive game live on the sky. 
it is quite in a way it's quite funny how the international break has probably come at a good and a bad time for Wednesday and, and Barnsley you, you know you talk there Lewis about how it's probably come a, a good time Barnsley can regroup have that two weeks off and then come back uh, against Reading you know fifth versus sixth in a big in a really big game Connor in a way for Wednesday it's probably come at, at a slightly bad time you know you, you no, drew... I, don't think, I think it's come at a very good time for Wednesday do you honest. think yeah I'm just I'm, I'm just thinking if you look at you know obviously you picked up three points against Barnsley you, you know you drew last time out against Huddersfield you know the, the time before that you know maybe it started to feel that Bar- Wednesday was starting to pick some momentum up maybe it would have been nice to carry that on but what do you well, think I think it won't change because there's a a couple of weeks break, you know, from game to game. I don't see it being that sort of effect. I think the confidence that we've generated from those two, well, not not from the, I don't think we've generated any confidence from that Huddersfield game, to be honest. I think that was another real dampener. The confidence we generate from this game, I think if it was going to carry on into a game three days later, why not? Why can it not carry on into our next outing, which is in a couple of weeks at Watford, which is a bit of a tall order. The reason I think it's come at a really good time for Wednesday is because it is now two weeks of training for Darren Moore to get his ideas across. We've, you know, we've said since he's come in that it's been game after game after game and he's not had enough time to get his ideas across on the training training ground. He's now going to have two weeks to do that. Or is it just shy, just, just shy of two weeks? No, it's not Good Friday. That's the week after, isn't it? But um, yeah, he's got a couple of weeks to get his ideas across. A, not you know plan for not just the Watford game but for the rest of the season try and get a style of play nailed down because we are going to different styles from game to game so maybe he'll try and get something nailed down you know a plan of how we can approach it and I think it will come at a good time I think also to give people a rest because we've got injuries that means that you can't rotate as much as you'd like to and it also gives a chance for maybe some of those players to come back we've seen Andre Green who made a sub appearance at the weekend you know, get him some more training time under his belt. Hopefully he comes back. Uh, he'll have to build some sharpness up, but hopefully he'll be able to come back. I'm not sure where Luongo is, but, you know, imagine if it brings us more time to to get him back up and back up to speed. That would be perfect. So, and Westwood's another one as well who, who pulled out injured in this game. Hopefully it gives him time to come back. So I only really see this as a good thing that we've now got that time to sort of regroup, get get time on the training ground and, and hopefully rest a few weary bodies because I don't think you can complain about having a break in this season. It's been so relentless that any break that you get from playing football for a couple of weeks is it's got to be seen as a good thing by players and by managers. And just finally, I just want to finish up on respective league positions. Obviously, Lewis Barnes are going great guns at the minute. Had a, a, an outstanding run of form in this new year. Currently sitting fifth in the table. Wednesday, Connor. Obviously, we we know the struggles that Wednesday have had on the pitch this season as well as off it. You currently sit in twenty third. You you from safety, but you do have a game in hand on Birmingham. Where, if we start with you, Lewis, first, where do you see this result um, leaving Barnsley for the remainder of the season? Do you reckon you can stay in and around that playoff, uh, those playoff positions? And then Connor, afterwards, do you reckon that this result will give Wednesday the the spark they need to try and? you know, really fight for survival. Yeah, with regards to Barnsley, I think that, as I mentioned, the, the Wednesday result, albeit being disappointing, I think I think it was just a game too far for us. Um, we, I think it was just one of those where the, the lads were tired and Wednesday turned up and played very well. I, with regards to the remainder of the season, I can only see us... I mean, 
as it stands, it's in our hands. You know, it's very much in our hands, and we and, and it'd be disappointing to let this position go now, especially for for a squad of the caliber of balances and a team the size of balances. You know, it'd be a great achievement. But you know, it, it's in our hands. We're, we're we're in the playoffs by five points of the game in hand, so it's 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 very much doable. It's just whether we can keep going, and I think I think a big test of that will be the Reading game. Um, I think that's a huge game and that'll be a good marker to see where the lads are at mentally after the international break. And yeah, I mean, I hope, I hope we stay where we are, but um, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult because we're playing teams in and around the relegation places and they're going to be scrapping for their lives. So hopefully we can keep going, obviously. And um, yeah, just put the Wednesday result behind us and we can continue in the same run of form. I think just, just before I come on to Wednesday, the thing that Barnsley have got to remember is that, like you say, it's just one game. And I think that the way Barnsley play, it's so unprecedented to have such a high line and, and be so in your face that I do think that it will lend itself to just being exposed every now and again. You will have those games where a team comes, takes advantage of it, exposes it. Um, and, and you're looking at it thinking, oh, you know, you should drop off a bit. But actually, no, you should keep the way that you're going because that's the way that's brought success. It's just that sometimes you will have those sort of games. And I do see, I do actually see Barnsley carrying on this run to the extent where they will get the playoffs because I look at the teams below them. I'm not convinced by Bournemouth, really, under Jonathan Woodgate. Um, Cardiff could probably upset the party with the way they're going under Mick McCarthy. But I do think Barnsley will have enough uh, to sneak in there at least. With Wednesday, um, yeah, look, I said I said we were down, didn't I? <laughs> In the last show, and I think it's difficult to sit here and say that we that we're definitely down um, because of you know it is only six points. We do have a game in hand on on Birmingham, but at the same time, Rotherham have three games in hand on us and four games in hand on Birmingham. They're th- three points ahead of us, and you, we've got to be dragging two teams down into it, haven't we? We can't just be finishing above Rotherham. Sorry, we can't just be finishing above Birmingham and then not finishing above Rotherham because will get relegated ultimately. So, you know, I think there's a few nervous glances from further up the league as well. Derby are on a really bad run of form at the minute. They're on 40 points. They're sinking at the minute. It looked like they've dragged themselves out a bit. They're now in a difficult position again. Coventry have always been in it, really. I still think they'll probably have enough to keep their heads above water. Um, I think, but but we've, we've got to just try and go on a run, try and make some teams above us tremble, shake... Um, look over their shoulders a bit, but ultimately we're massively up against it still. Because although we've beaten Barnsley this weekend, last weekend, sorry, our next two games are Watford away and Cardiff at home. Now, if we don't get four points from that, it's going to be really difficult if we get no points from that. Depending on how Birmingham and Rotherham get on, it's going to be difficult. I don't think Birmingham is going to be as bad under Lee Bowyer. I think he is going to have some sort of impact there. It's just whether it's enough to keep them above us and Rotherham. Um, you know, if you ask me now, I still think we're going down. I still think there's not much chance of us staying up. But because of this unexpected win, I am more optimistic. Um, but it's it's still a difficult one. I'm not one of these that believes that we're suddenly going on a massive winning streak now. It seems difficult to envisage that. So, you know, the next game looks very difficult, doesn't it? So let's hope we could try and get something there. If we can try and get four points out of these next two, maybe sneak a draw at Watford and get a win against Cardiff, I might start believing. We shall see how Sheffield Wednesday go on in their fight to survive uh, the relegation to League One. And we will cover every single game, as you know by now. 
for the rest of the season on Football for Amanda. Lewis, thanks a lot for joining us and uh, fingers crossed. I'm not going to jinx it again, hopefully not, but uh, we can have you back on towards the end of the season if Barnsley make it to the Premier League. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Let's hope that doesn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) We'll still have you on though, but I'm, you know, I don't want Barnsley (laughs) to go up. That just can't happen, surely. (laughs) (laughs) For now, that wraps up Sheffield Wednesday. Bringing you the latest football news from Sheffield and beyond. This is Shoe Football Forum. Football Forum here on Spotify. Much appreciating your company. So Wednesday's done. It's over to United now as, uh, well, they had nothing really to lose, did they? Uh, An FA Cup quarterfinal for the second consecutive season. And uh, they were taking on a Chelsea side that were unbeaten, in fact, since Thomas Tuchel had come in. And uh, they've hardly conceded, in fact. But one of those said goals was that freak own goal that counted for United when the sides met in the Premier League back in January. Adam Oxley was your commentator at Stamford Bridge. Corner to Chelsea. Their first of the game from the far side. Defending to do for the Blades. Whipped in towards Zuma. Bounces away. Comes to the edge of the area. Chilwell is going to look to drill it. He does! It's going to be deflected into his own goal by Oli Norwood. First real shot of any anger towards the goal from Chelsea. They didn't manage to get out and block down the shot of uh, Chilwell, did Sheffield United. It looked like it was going wide as well, but an outstretched leg from Ollie Norwood deflects the ball beyond Aaron Ramsdale. James with the throw for Chelsea. Sheffield United need to get the ball back here, need to try and create something else, but they've lost out and it'll be Kovacic who brings it forward. Option on down the left-hand side with Chilwell into the middle of the area, looking for Ziyech, who will put the ball beyond Ramsdale. That's Chelsea, who will progress to the semi-finals of the FA Cup for the fourth time in five seasons. The Blades were pressing, and Chelsea counter-attacked down the other end, and it's the sub, the Moroccan international Ziyech, for about 12 yards out, who gets under the end of the ball, steers it past Ramsdale, and Sheffield United will be exiting the FA Cup. So, Sheffield United away at Chelsea in their FA Cup quarter-final. Connor can talk us through it. Yeah, United's FA Cup run has come to an end and with that, the season is now all but over. They lost 2-0 to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in the quarter-finals and Chelsea took the lead after 24 minutes when Oliver Norwood turned a Ben Chilwell delivery into his own net. But the scoreline doesn't tell you the full story because it was a much-improved performance from Sheffield United as compared to the Leicester game and compared to most of the performances this season. And they did create chances in that second half. And the best one came to David McGoldrick. He somehow put his diving header wide of the post after a great ball from John Lundstrom. And as United were hunting for an equaliser, well, they left the back door open and substitute Hakim Ziyech made it two in stoppage time. And here's what Paul Heckingbottom had to say. Yeah, uh, if, if I go through the game, I thought first half, there was nothing in it. We defended well. We were strong. We, we didn't let him play through us. Um terms of chances it was even but they they got the one that scored but I felt that we were poor in possession we, we didn't show enough quality and enough bravery to get on the ball um, and ally that would I think we could have pressed a little bit higher up the pitch but it's difficult if you keep giving Chelsea the ball back so we asked for more bravery or demanded more bravery and, and a desire to get on the ball in the second half and also changed a couple of things in terms of pressing higher up the pitch from particularly from our outside midfielders and um, the biggest and the most significant difference was us with the ball, I think, which uh, which allowed us to uh, be the better team, in my opinion, in the second half. 
Paul Heckingbottom there reacting to his side's 2-0 defeat to Chelsea Chappers. I mean, we were very down on United last season. I think we were very critical and, and rightly so. I don't think this is potentially the, the game that you can be too critical of. A lot of encouragement there for Sheffield United, but ultimately come away empty-handed. Yeah, the story of our season, really. That you know, there's been games where there has been encouragement, but we've still come away with nothing. On you know, games that we've definitely been in and been the scoreline's been close, but we've come away with nothing. Um, and I think you know, the weekend was a prime example of that. That first half, I thought we were we were all right. Didn't think we were particularly great. I don't think we were particularly bad. Um, I think Norwood's own goal pretty much sums up our experiences throughout this season. Um, you know, he's, he's trying to do the right thing and ends up doing the, the completely the wrong thing by sticking it in his own net after, you know, or turning in a shot that for me was going wide. There was nobody behind him, probably could have left it, but I guess it's a natural instinct to try and cut it out into it if you're not 100% sure who's behind you. Um, so I don't think there's really a great deal of blame put there. I think the disappointing element of that goal is when the corner initially comes in. You've got three players going for a, for the ball to clear it and not one of them uh, wins it. Um, one of which is John Lundstrom, who then decides he is going to go to try and block the impending shot from Chilwell, but then decides, actually, no, I'm not. I'm going to stop. And you think, well, maybe if he'd have carried on, maybe he would have got that block in and maybe that ball wouldn't have, even, you know, wouldn't have fizzed in into the area. Maybe Norwell wouldn't have put it in the back of his own net. It's, you know, maybes all the time, isn't it, this season? Um, but second half, I thought we were much, much better. I thought it was, a I don't want to say a more vintage Sheffield United performance type performance, but we seemed to come alive a little bit more in the second half. We were better in possession. Uh, we were better with the ball. I thought first half, we were really quite wasteful with terms of as soon as we got it, we'd just either hoof it clear or there's a lot of misplaced passes. But second half, we were much better in, in keeping the ball, passing it around quite nicely. Uh, and we we created a few good chances, no more so than than David McGoldricks, who I genuinely don't know how he missed. I don't think he'll quite know how he missed. Um, it's one of those chances where it is easier to score than miss. Um, and from six yards out, all the goal to aim at is somehow put it back right across the face of goal and out for a goal kick. And I think he stood scratching his his big, beautiful, bald head as, as the rest of us are. Um, but yeah, great chance. And then a few other ones as well. McBurney had a decent effort from the 18-yard box, edge of the 18-yard box, fairly comfortable save in the end for uh, for um, Ariza Balaga. And then Rian Brewster, who I thought was going to score his first goal when he absolutely let rip from, from 18 yards. I thought that were going to find its way uh, into the bottom corner, but that was side netting. It was just fine margins and we were just so unlucky. And like you say, it's it were a similar situation in, in a way to how we conceded when we did against Hull in the FA Cup seven years ago at Wembley when we were pressing for an equaliser we ended up in court short at the back and like you said kind of leaving the back door open and when you've got players of, of the issues quality and um, playing for Chelsea you can't be given given those chances because they will take them and they will punish you and that's what they did. Um, on Sunday but all in all a much better second half performance after a, um, well a, an absolutely dismal game last week against against Leicester much better um, this weekend and even though we lost I weren't even that down about it I kind of thought you know what I don't even mind losing because I think we've played quite well so yeah fairly happy overall but I guess you can never be too happy when you've lost 2-0 regardless of how you've played. And those individual errors creeping in because I think you look at the especially the 
the first half, it was a game that Chelsea dominated possession that didn't really create anything. Uh, the chances that they did have were, you know, the, the own goal, which wasn't really a chance. And, and United giving the ball away stupidly it was Norwood. Um, but you must be pretty encouraged with United's shape off the ball to allow that to be the case because they didn't really carve you open. The second goal came from a counter-attack, which is understandable. What do you make of the approach? Because it was kind of from the off, you were pressing high and when Chelsea had the ball sort of in their own third, you were really pressing high and making it difficult for them. And then when they got into your half, you were sitting really compact behind the ball. There was a lot, it was a lot better than Leicester in terms of off the ball, in terms of your shape, wasn't it? What do you think of, of the performance without the ball? Yeah, much better. And I think you can't go into a game against a team like Chelsea and expect to see a lot of the ball. Um, and as a result, you've got to be really regimented and really disciplined when you're not in possession. Um, and I think, again, to, to use the same phrase I did a minute ago, it was a vintage Sheffield United defending performance, really. Um, a really nice shape off the ball. When Chelsea coming forward, you've got that kind of back eight almost, really. So it goes into, you know, the the back three and two wing backs tuck into a mecha back five. And you get your three midfield players who sometimes are a little bit of a V-shape, but come and tuck in. Um, into a flat midfield three um, and it was a much better shape and like you say Chelsea really limited to to quite a f- well very few chances um, Chelsea only had well I'm just looking at the, the the stats of the game they only had eight attempts on on uh, in the game only three of those were on target so it just showed you how difficult we were making it for Chelsea and I think it was very few occasions where they actually got in behind one of those um was was caused by an individual error. Norwood playing a absolute hospital ball, um, and thankfully Ramsdale spared his blushes. Um, but yeah, much better shape, and I, I don't think that was epitomised by anyone better than Phil Jagielka. Who I thought was was absolutely excellent. Who um, is is the model professional that you could ever wish for? Um, you know, his, his brother dies in the week. He goes, no, I want to carry on as usual. Comes in, plays against Chelsea at thirty eight years old and puts in a performance that you would have expected him 10 years ago. Um, I thought he was absolutely excellent. Um, didn't give any any time for the you know for Chelsea strikers to get on the ball, uh, to really get a shot off. Was there intercepting, you know, through balls, heading away crosses from, you know, corners, free kicks, whatever, out wide. thought it was excellent. Um, and yeah, much better uh, performance from the back um, and a much better shape off the ball, which was completely lacking last weekend against Leicester. Like, I guess, understandably so, because it was a, you know, big news that rocked the dressing room against Leicester, but yeah, much better this weekend. Um, and again, story of our season, it's it's just an individual error for the first goal, you know, in particular, that, that has led us astray and, you know, caused us to caused us to lose the game. And I guess you can say the, other, the same at the other end of the pitch, where it's an individual error from McGoldrick. He should be doing better. Um, and, you know, those moments define games, don't they? And, and unfortunately, we've been on the wrong end of those all season. Yep, and our thoughts very much with Phil Jagielka and his family after the tragic passing. I think it says mm. speaks volumes about his uh, character and professionalism that he comes in and, and puts in a performance like that in a very difficult game. Um, Joseph, I just wanted to get your take on Ben Osborne as well, coming in at left wing back. I think he had a, a very good game. I think who um, was on co-commentary at the weekend, um, whoever it was, you know, singing his praises. Do you think that Ben Martin Osborne's Keown. Martin Keown? Sorry, Martin, if you're listening, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he is, but you know, um, would you? Do you think he's staked a claim there to be starting a bit more regularly in that left wing back position? I mean, yeah, there there is potential because obviously Ben Osborne. We've seen that the Ben Osborne can play 
a multitude of of different positions in this Sheffield United side. Obviously, when he came in, he was more of a of a midfielder player. Um, but he has he has been drafted in to play left wing back when needs be at times. And and I thought he had he had a pretty good game. Uh, I have met Martin Keown once before, but uh, a bit too early in the uh, in the career to be mentioned in football forum to him. Um, but no, I, th- I think Ben Osborne has got a, a rather decent chance of of staking a claim. Whether it's it is one that that Heckingbottom looks to looks to use in because he's he's stuck with this with this three five two that uh, that Chris put in. Um, well, ever since he joined, and Heckingbottom has stuck with that. Whether I, I think it's just a case that because of our defensive injuries, that's the only reason why. Um, ben Osborne is still there. I mean, obviously, Ender Stevens would be playing that uh, that left wing back role, but obviously, with all the centre back problems, that means that Ender Stevens is having to fill in at left centre back. Um, but I do think, though, that well, yeah, Ben Osborne could stake a claim, but I think we need to see a little bit more from him. Yeah, just touching on on Ben Osborne, like you said, I. I... I want to big him up a little bit more than you probably just did there, Joe. I thought he played really well on on Sunday. Um, I thought he was, thought it was excellent. I thought defensively he was really good. Um, I don't really think he really let anybody you know get free or get past him. And I thought going forward he offered us an outlet that we've not really seen down that left hand side for for quite a, you know for a bit. Um, I thought his deliveries were excellent. Um, and one of the things you're always going to get from Ben Osborne is. Is that tenacity um, and always, you know, up for a game, always trying to win the ball back, you know, always trying to look to go forward and play forward. Um, I thought it was quite interesting that, that Ender Stevens slotted in at left centre back. Kean Bryan was on the bench. I don't think there was any injury concern over Bryan. So I was a little bit, I was, I was quite interested to see Stevens there. I've been a big um, hounder of Ender Stevens this season because he's just not been on the money for me at all. Um, and I've said for, well, said many occasions that. I would much prefer to see Ben Osborne at left wing back and probably Kian Bryan at left centre back because I think sometimes, well, there's been times this season where Stephen's been an absolute car crash at left centre back. Um, and I think Brian's, Brian's been a much better option when he has come in. Um, and like I say, I, I do prefer Ender Steve, sorry, um, Ben Osborne at left wing back, even over, you know, Max Lowe as well. He came in in the summer and I don't think he's really done it yet. But yeah, for me, Ben Osborne has, has really staked his, his place for a, a claim uh, or staked his claim for a place in the uh, in the starting eleven uh, next time out. Let's get a quick opposing view then. This is Josh Allen, our resident Chelsea expert. For a Chelsea side with so many attacking players, this seemed like the perfect opponent. We'd already put four past them at one stage early in the season. At Bramall Lane, it was a bit of a different story. It was a tougher game. And we made nine changes from our Champions League win versus Atletico in midweek. So Tuchel stuck with the 3-4-2-1, which he seems to be gravitating towards. And it was only Zuma and Kovacic that played, that kept their places from that game. And there wasn't really too much happening, to be honest, up until the own goal. And Pulisic, you'd have to say, was the bright spark for us. He often drifted centrally from his left forward role in this 3-4-2-1, collected the ball and drove with it. There were plenty of fouls on him. I'm sure Blades fans will have to admit that. George Baldock, in particular, serial offender, somehow managing to uh, evade a yellow card throughout the whole game. And I think that the back three was quite positive for Chelsea as well. It's Obviously, there is some form of rotation. Christensen, before Tuchel came in, wouldn't have been in this starting eleven. 
I mean, Zuma wasn't getting much of a seeing uh, from Frank Lampard either. And Emerson was pretty much out of the equation. And I, I was thinking that about him and t- uh, even when Tuchel came in because it seemed that Alonso and Chilwell were always getting the nod at that wing-back position or left-back position. But he actually looked quite quite capable in a left centre-back position. Looked good on the ball. Zuma's athleticism definitely helped with us. And, you know, he could snuff out the balls over the top. But Hakim Ziyech sealed the tie, which was a massive relief because up until that point, we did look quite open at the back. Big thanks to Josh Allen there uh, for chatting Chelsea and uh, he the, his side has now got a place in the FA Cup semi-finals where they're taking on Man City. So uh, realistically, even if we'd have beat Chelsea, we uh, weren't going to get much further, were we? Anyway, that is United and Wednesday done. It's now over to Chappers, who has all the latest from across the region. It's this week's local roundup. Absolutely, and we're going to start in the Championship, and we're actually going to start with Rotherham. Obviously, I would usually start with Barnsley, but uh, after they lost against Sheffield Wednesday, Rotherham is where we start today. Uh, they travelled down to Bristol City and pulled out a great result um, down in the uh, down at, uh, down at the county ground. Uh, Michael Smith opened the scoring in the 44th minute uh, for Rotherham just before half-time before veteran Richard Ward made it 2-0 uh, with around 25 minutes to go in that game. 2-0 that game finished and like I said that's a great result for Rotherham. They currently sit 22nd as we've just been hearing uh, but they do have four games in hand on Birmingham and they are only three points from safety and so that is a really important three points for Paul Warren's side. Uh, moving down into League One and Donny Rovers had an absolute nightmare start away at Gillingham uh, under Andy Butler, uh, Jordan Graham opened the scoring uh, just after two minutes. Uh, Vidane Oliver made it 2-0 after four minutes and you thought, oh, goodness me, this could be a cricket score for Donny Rovers. Um, but balls from them in the 19th and 23rd from Tom Anderson and another veteran, James Coppinger, uh, drew it up to 2-2. And that's how it finished. There were no further goals in that game. Uh, 2-2 it finished for Andy Butler's side there, who have, since Darren Moore have left, have been in absolute shocking form. They've not won in five games now. Uh, they do still sit in fifth in the table, but they are only in the playoffs by two uh, games. They do have a number of games in hand, uh, which is which will be an encouragement to them. Well, Chesterfield, they were looking to get back to winning ways uh, as they travelled down to uh, Barnet, who really are rooted to the National League table, uh, to the foot of the National League table, I should say. In fact, no, they're not. They're currently 22nd out of 23 over a bottom, but they really are struggling. Uh, but Chesterfield did get back to winning ways after two straight defeats uh, previously. Uh, two goals this time from the first from Tom Whelan in the 11th minute and then Adi Youssef early in the second half in the 48th uh, brought winning ways back to the Spyrites and James Rowe. They currently sit 11th in the National League table. It is such a congested National League table. So many teams could still make it into the playoffs. Chesterfield currently sitting five points outside of the playoffs and Bromley. But again, because of COVID and things like that, they do have a number of games in hand on teams above them. So Chesterfield's still in with a shout of getting into the playoffs and looking for promotion back into the Football League. And that is your local roundup. Before we continue, Chappers, the county ground is Swindon, not Bristol City. Yes, I couldn't think of what it was. It was Ashton Gate. Ashton Gate. It's to me. Yeah, it's well to me. Sorry about that, everyone. Sorry, Bristol City fans. It's obviously Aston Gate. I knew that and I was just trying to think what I was trying to say and I couldn't think of it for the life of me. But yeah, Ashton Gate. There we are. Yeah, I was close. Swindon's not far away from Bristol. They both yeah, play well, so only over the M4. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Never mind. I would actually Google how far away Swindon is from Bristol. Well, you can tell us after this. 
still to come tonight on Football Forum. We'll uh, we'll check in with the latest Premier League action. And we'll look ahead to England's games in their World Cup qualifiers. That's all still to come on the latest edition of Football Forum. Have you got the answer, chappers? Yeah, Bristol and Swindon are 40 miles from each other. They're basically neighbouring big towns. So not a million miles away. And like, like Connor says, they're both playing red. So sorry, Bristol City fans. I obviously gate, not County Ground. Lovely stuff. Anyway, on to the top stories and a look at the uh, the weekend's Premier League action. And uh, just continuing the theme of the FA Cup, uh, we know that Chelsea are through to play Man City after Man City won 2-0 against Everton. We also know that Southampton beat Bournemouth 3-0 uh, to set up a tie against Leicester City after they thumped Man United 3-1. So those ties are going to be played in a couple of weeks' time, my birthday weekend. So uh, that means the F1 can take priority instead of an FA Cup semi-final. Anyway, on to the Premier League action. And we're going to start with another cracker, in fact. West Ham United's game against Arsenal. Um, a 3-3 this one finished with with an unbelievable game. Uh, we talk about the 3-3 between United and Man United being a cracker. So was this. And Jesse Lingard, what a season he's having since he moved on loan from Manchester United. He opened the screen in the 15th minute. And then Jared Bowen made it two for the Hammers in two minutes. Uh, I think there was 98 seconds between both goals. Thomas Suchek made it 3-0 just after the half-hour mark. And then he decided to stick one in his own net. Callum Chambers with a fantastic ball across. Lacazette took a touch, hit it. And uh, the last touch coming off Suchek in the 38th. And then... Uh, do uh, Craig Dawson, isn't it? Not Michael Dawson. It's Craig Dawson. He decided that uh, he fancied getting an own goal as well. And uh, he stuck one in his own net in the 61st. Uh, another assist from Callum Chambers. Same place, same outcome. And then Lacazette, well, his, uh, his first attempt had been ruled out as an own goal. Uh, so he made sure he got one uh, in the 82nd. 3-3 finished, Connor. And... Uh, well, I did mention him in the uh, the summary there, but Callum Chambers, he's an excellent performance from him. He, he's only just come back after the ACL injury that's kept him out for a, a, a fair bit of this last year. And he's really struggled for game time, but he uh, put in a very impressive performance. Yeah, he did, particularly in that second half. And there was, I think, was it in the second half? There was one ball. I think it was, uh, yeah, in the second half when he played that ball outside of his foot first time, just like dinked it over the back line. And it just set, set up perfectly for, I think it was Lacazette. Um, he, he played very well. Uh, but, you know, in, in general, I thought West Ham started like a house on fire. And, you know, sometimes, I think last time we spoke about West Ham, I accused them of being too cautious against Man United, playing with a bit of an inferiority complex. And that wasn't the case early on in this game. Perhaps quickly, Jesse Lingard looking very good with a, a fantastic first goal. And then, you know, for the second goal for Jared Bowen, fantastic, uh, quick thinking from the quick free kick and putting Bowen in. Poor mistake from Leno, who shouldn't get beaten his near post like that. But, um, you know, great start. And then they get the third through Thomas Suchek. And, you know, that Antonio flicked it on. Suchek needed it in. They didn't even celebrate that goal because they were convinced it was going to be ruled out for offside. But replay showed that Suchek was on. And then, you know, two own goals at the other end. I think West Ham became, you know, we, we talked about the inferiority complex and 
maybe it's just it's not really an inferiority complex in this situation. It's just sink, sinking too deep after conceding one, um, letting the opponent regain control of a match and not being compact enough. And I'm going to criticise West Ham a bit, but I'm also going to criticise Martin Odegaard in particular because, you know, West Ham... I think you, you saw just how much space and t- time and space Erdegaard, that's the way you pronounce it, um, got when he sort of drifted in between the lines and he's very good at finding that space. But I think that West Ham's back line was a little bit too deep. If you go a little bit higher up the pitch and try and close those spaces, it's a lot harder for someone like Martin Erdegaard to really shine in the way he did. Um, and West Ham, I think that comes as a, a bit of a subconscious thing of players sitting back and trying to protect what they've got. And it's not always the beneficial thing to do. I think I use Wednesday as an example, you know, under Gary Monk was a, a classic case of us just losing control of games by sitting too deep and allowing the opposition to get on top, losing your composure on the ball. And that's, that's exactly what West Ham did really. Um, but I think you've got to give a lot of credit to Martin Erdegaard, who is just a joy to watch. He really is. And the way he's settled into that team. I just think it transforms the way that they play as well. We've seen Arsenal be, you know, when they sort of picked up their form again, they were good in transition with the likes of Smith Rowe and Saka. In this game, they looked like they were really good at, you know, they had the ability to break down a more stubborn and deeper defence. And Martin Odegaard just allowed that to happen so much by drifting between the lines and making line-breaking passes as well, not always playing the safe option, but holding on to it for a bit longer and just playing in between the defence and midfield and just breaking those lines, getting players into great positions. And, you know, I think the stats with this tell you everything you need to know. He creates seven chances, I think it was. He has 11 shot-creating actions, which is a dribble or a pass that leads to a shot. He receives the ball more time than any, more times than any other Arsenal player on the pitch and for an attacking midfielder that's pretty impressive because usually that would probably be the defensive midfielder but Erdegaard was the man who was really dictating everything and these you know his ability to look up and play with intelligence he's such an intelligent footballer he looks like he's going to dribble at somebody but then he's always got that spatial awareness just to lay that pass off at the right minute to a teammate when you know he's attracted attention of four or five players and he, he just manages to shift um, you know, a really creative player and uh, a joy to watch. And Arsenal, if if I were them, you know, this this is a guy that they should be putting out all the stops for. Twenty two years old, just a wonderful talent, and um, he's obviously going to come at quite a big price from Real Madrid. Whether you know Real Madrid want to keep hold of him because the likes of Modric are getting on a bit, um, I don't know, but. It would be great if Arsenal could could sign him on on a permanent deal. Indeed, it would. So three three there between West Ham and Arsenal, and a quick look at the rest of the weekend's action. And uh, well, there wasn't too much of it, was there, because of FA Cup action. Uh, Leeds United with a victory for themselves, two one over Fulham on Friday night. Patrick Bamford amongst the goals once again, uh, and uh, well. 
Brighton with a 3-0 victory for them over Newcastle United. Trossard with one of the goals. Danny Welbeck with a screamer. And Neil Mopai to finish it off. Newcastle in real trouble. And uh, the other game we're going to touch on this week is uh, Spurs with their 2-0 victory over Aston Villa. Uh, Vinicius with one of the easiest goals he's going to get in his life. A tap-in from two yards. A uh, bit of a mistake from Amy Martinez and Harry Kane with a penalty midway through the second half. A uh, bit of an off day for Emmy Martinez, Chappers, but another victory that Spurs really needed after midweek. Yeah, vital three points as far as Spurs are concerned after, you know, what was a real shocker um, in the Europa League in midweek. They really needed something to bounce back and, and they got that. Um, it certainly wasn't the liveliest of games in terms of uh, in terms of efforts on goals. Um, Spurs aren't really known as the team for, for really well, on on multiple occasions really going forward and trying to go for the jugular. Uh, but they did what they needed to do um, to to get three points. Uh, first goal, long ball over the top from from Regulon. Uh, like you say, a rare mistake from Emmy Martinez who came out to meet him, but fluffed his clearance straight to Lucas Mora who wanted the ball more than Matty Cash did, really. Um, and, and from there, Spurs just broke so quickly and with such quality. A quick one-two between Kane and Mora uh, before Mora pulling one back for Carlos Vinicius. And like you say, I'd feel he's not going to score an easy goal in his life. Six yards out and he's he's, he's scored a tapping from what he's, you know, he's completely unmarked and in a completely open goal. But you've got to look at the other side and it's really poor defending from a, from a Villa point of view. And it really is just a catalogue of errors. As soon as Martinez fluffs his clearance, then they're in real trouble. You get Matt Target playing left back, who decides to go in, go inside and leave the whole of the Spurs right hand side free for for Vinicius and, and Lacelso to just draft into because nobody's picking them up. John McGinn decides he's not going to go out and help his defenders out, and then flaps his arms in frustration when it's left for a tapping for Vinicius, and you just think, "Well, hang on a minute, you've just stood there and watched it." Mings gets dragged out wide to try and, you know, block the pullback from Mora where, you know, Conzer and Target are coming back from the edge of the area after being, you know, left for dead. And it, it was really poor defending from a Villa point of view uh, to, to concede such a cheap goal. Second half, Harry, Harry Kane had a great chance early on um, after he you know, capitalised on an advantage. Foul wasn't given, I think it was on regular. You know, Mike Dean played the advantage and Tyra Mings decided to stand off him and gave him a good five yards. And you can't really do that while Harry Kane's around. You know, luckily he got a, a slight touch on it and put it out for a corner. Um, but you can't be leaving that much room for Harry Kane in and around the 18-yard box because chances are he will punish you. And like you say, Hadfield, he did end up getting a goal in the end. Um, it was you know penalty, Matty Cash diving in. It's nowhere near the ball. It's taking Harry Kane out instead for me. It's, it's a penalty all day long. Some fans aren't overly happy about it. You know, Kane seemingly loses the ball, but you know, for me, it's a penalty. You can't be diving in like that and taking players' legs. Um, you've got to expect a penalty, and, and Kane does what he does best and absolutely rifled one in bottom corner, sent Martinez the wrong way um, and doubled Spurs' lead. And like I say, overall, Spurs, in, in what was a, a tight game, chances-wise, had the better of them. Uh, Villa didn't really get going and, and didn't test Larice anywhere near as much as they needed to uh, and that's now five games without a win um, and, well no sorry it's more than that they haven't actually won a game since the end of February um, and they're now sitting they're currently sitting 10th in the table um, Spurs up to 6th with that win so you know they'll be looking to kick on when, when they're back in action be a, a good day for Spurs and not so good for, for Aston Villa 
Indeed it is. And uh, it's uh, the Premier League gets a little bit of a break now because our attention is on the international stage. England have three World Cup qualifiers and it gives us a little bit of a break as well. Uh, we will preview all three of them in the previews next. Joseph, Josh and Connor. This is Football Forum only on Shoe Radio. Thanks for joining us for the latest edition of Football Forum. And it's on to the previews now with England being the focus uh, for the next week and a half. Their World Cup qualifiers get off to a flyer. And uh, they're hoping that they do get off to a flyer, in fact, because the first one is San Marino. And uh, we all know how it's going to go, let's be fair. Um, But first of all, the England squad was announced and... um, some of the the main headlines was that Sam Johnston's been given his his first call up because uh, of an injury to Jordan Pickford. Um, anything really stand out for you, Connor? Yeah, I think we'll touch on Johnston first. I think there is a case to say that he might have deserved a call up anyway. He's been that good for West Brom this season. I don't think he would have got one because I think Southgate does like and he's not going to get in over Henderson or Pope. But Johnston deserves it a lot. The obvious omission is Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, which I think has got people debating and I can understand both sides of it. On one hand, you've got this 22-year-old fullback who's been unbelievable for Liverpool for a couple of years. He's now had a dip in form like you'd expect young players to do. Um, it is worth noting that in recent weeks, his form's actually improved and it's not been at the level that it has been in previous years. But you know, I think back to some of the recent Liverpool games and the game against Sheffield United, for example, I thought it was brilliant that night. So he's not completely lost his form and he is sort of trying to get back to that level. But I think maybe the key thing that Southgate's looking at here is actually how he's played for England when he's come in. Because um, I think people, you know, forget, sometimes forget about England performances. And I was reading Michael Cox's piece in The Athletic and he was saying that, you know, the last three England games are a bit, a bit of a distant memory. I bet nobody can remember who played well and who played badly against Denmark in that um, game where we lost, was it, I can't remember, was it 1-0? I think it was 1-0. But these these games that are pretty irrelevant, you don't really think about. And ultimately, when you come down to the goalkeeping situation, Pickford has never let England down. So you can actually understand why he's in the team. Um, and I think with this one, Trent Alexander-Arnold hasn't looked comfortable. You know, the, the wing-backs is a system that I don't want England to play. But if we are playing that system... Alexander-Arnold hasn't looked comfortable playing as a wing-back. Um, you know, he's, he's not... I suppose you've got to do more running up and down in that position when you haven't got a winger ahead of you. He doesn't play in that system for Liverpool, although you could argue it's... plays as a wing-back. It just didn't seem to suit him when England have played um, in, in the games where he's played as a wing-back. And you look at the other players and Reese James ahead of him, Played very well against Denmark and was easily England's best player. Put some great crosses in, played as a wing-back, played as a full-back. And you can understand that. And, and Kyle Walker probably gives you a bit more defensive security. And, and Trippier, to be honest with you, I've not seen much of La Liga this season, so I'm not too sure what his form's like. But it is a ridiculously competitive slot, that right-back's position for England, because you know, you, you're going to have people saying, oh, you know, if... If someone like Tariq Lamptey was left-footed when he gets back to fitness, maybe he could be in it. Um, but 
you know, they can only really pick three right backs and, and you don't really have the same sort of depth at left back, although Luke Shaw coming in is richly deserved because at the minute he is the best left back in in an best English left back by a mile on recent on recent form. Indeed. Uh, Chappers, uh, the the forward scenario is a bit of a bit of an interesting one because obviously Jude Bellingham is involved. Obviously, he's a winger technically. Um, Jesse Lingard has got his first call up in uh, in a couple of years, obviously being a midfielder as well. And uh, Ollie Watkins as well, his first international call up. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for, for Ollie Watkins, actually, because I think he, he really does deserve it. Um, I think he's had a good season with Villa this year. And I think coming through the ranks, you know, with Exeter and Brentford, he, I, I think it was only a matter of time before he was on the cusp of an England call-up. And I think this this season, he, he really has deserved one. I think a lot of the time he has to do a lot of the work himself in that Villa team. Um, because, you know, quite often he plays up there on his own. He's not the biggest of lads. Um and especially with without Jack Grealish in the team, who creates so much for for, for Aston Villa, he, ha, he has had to do it alone sometimes. Um, but I think you know it'd be really good for him to to get in the team, uh, or at least in the squad, whether he plays or not. That might be a slightly different story. You mentioned Jesse Lingard, who I think has been excellent recently. Well, since he joined on on loan at West Ham from from Man United, he, he really has been so influential in their success as a team since January. Um, you no know more the no more so than in in the game of the week against Arsenal, where you know he was just unplayable in that first half, um, and and like I say, he's been a real influence for 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 West Ham, and two very exciting players that hopefully will will stake a claim in that England in that England squad this time around for ready for the world, well ready for the Euros um, in the summer. So yeah, really happy for both Lingard and, and Watkins. Obviously Lingard been in the in the squad before. I don't really think for me he's he's ever lit the world on fire in an England shirt. He's played, you know, there's been games where he's played well and he's scored goals, but I don't think he's consistently done it. And I think it, this this provides a, a great chance for Ollie Watkins to show what he's all about in an England shirt. So, yeah, happy for them both. He is indeed right. Three games for England in this upcoming international period regarding the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, now, we are going to cover all three and preview them because there's no show for us until after the international period now. Uh, it's our first break in, in quite a while, so uh, that'll be nice to have a, a week or so off. Uh, San Marino is first, and it is uh, Thursday night at 7.45. Then we've got Albania uh, on Sunday, 5 o'clock kickoff for that one, and Poland a week on Wednesday night, the 31st of March. That is 7.45 as well. Now, all the England games are on ITV uh, for the first time in a while because it's a uh, a qualification tournament. Um, I think the main one to touch on, first of all, is probably the Poland game because, realistically, it's the one that has the most sort of um, competitive aspect about it, Connor. Yeah, that will be a tough game. And obviously, Poland are the... You know the only real test in our group. I think we're saying that Hungary aren't aren't mugs. You know they've got some decent players. We should be able to beat both of them if we play to our uh, you know ability. And we you know we don't have a real bad off day. But certainly Poland. I think you look at the obvious talent is Lewandowski, and he's going to scare any defense in the world. And if they create chances for him, it doesn't have to be a, a clear cut chance. Robert Lewandowski will score goals. Um, bit disappointed that he's been cleared to play in this one uh, because 
could have done without facing him. But I think you look at elsewhere in the team, it's it's pretty beatable. There are some good players in there. Zielinski is a is a good player I've liked seeing when I've seen him play before. Um, you've obviously got Mateus Click, who England English people will be familiar with. Is does he worry me at the top level? Probably, possibly not. You've got Plajeta on the right, who I think is going to be an interesting one because he's just so quick. He's ridiculously quick. Um, but, you know, man for man, this is a, it's still a game that England should be winning. Uh, but I don't think it'll be easy necessarily. And like I say, if Poland have one of those games where they defend really well and maybe create half a chance at the other end for Lewandowski, there's always the chance that he will take that opportunity. So um, definitely the, the most difficult game that we're going to face in qualifying uh, the other two. I don't think I'm being arrogant in saying that they're pretty much nailed on for routine England thumpings, I think. Well, Chappers, uh, we'll start with you first. The San Marino game tomorrow night, 7.45 on ITV. Uh, sorry, Thursday night on ITV, 7.45 kickoff. It is at Wembley. And uh, your score prediction, please. And if we're all being honest, it is one of those times where it is a case of how many. Yeah, I'm going to be slightly more conservative than I know both of you are, especially you, Adfield. I'm going to say 6-0. Um, I think it'll be one of those where England won't really break sweat. Um, and I equally think it's going to be one of those where I don't think Gareth Southgate would quite approach it in the same way that you and I would, Connor, i.e. try and get as many goals as you possibly could. Um, but I'd, having said that, you know, it is an absolute dead cert that they will get at least four or five, and I think it'll probably be six, actually. So I'm going to say 6-0. 6-0 for Chappers. Uh, he's been rather conservative and look how that turned out for Connor last week. Um, I am going a bit ridiculous, uh, but why not? You only get one chance to predict against San Marino and I'm going double figures. I'm going 10-0. I think the biggest scoreline ever predicted on football for him in its entire history. And of course, it'd be me to predict a 10-0. Connor. Yeah, I'm going to go in between. I'm going to go eight. Um, I think the only thing that I not worry about, but the thing that might stop England from getting these higher score lines is players thinking, oh, I don't want to get injured. Uh, I don't want to really push it to the full length. I don't want to play at, a, at such a high intensity. But I also think there's a balancing act of, I want to impress Gareth Southgate and I want to get into this England team for the Euros. I appreciate that scoring goals against San Marino isn't going to be what you judged on, but I think in terms of attitude and application, that's something that Southgate can judge him on. I'd quite like to see us, like Chap has alluded to there, just throw as many attacking players on as we can, get Watkins' his debut, get Calvert-Lewin started. I'd rest Harry Kane because I like to wrap him in cotton wool a bit uh, with his injury problems. Um, but apart from that, play two centre-halves, play two wingers at full-back, play four up front. Because San Marino, would, we know how San Marino play. We've played against them before. They're not going to show any ambition. You can't really blame them. But if they get a free kick on halfway the furthest player forward will be the free kick taker and it will go straight back to Pope or Henderson, whoever's in goal and they'll get set to defend again. So it really is going to be that kind of game. They're going to try and keep the score down. The objective for us is to try and get our goal difference up by as much as we can to make sure that if it does come down to that, we can have the upper hand on Poland or Hungary. So after that one, England, as I say, have got Albania on Sunday evening. Uh, now I'm going to go 5-0 England for this one. Don't think it's going to be as ridiculous, but then again, you'd probably expect it to be that. Connor? Yeah, Albania. I don't think I've ever seen Albania play. Um, 
you know, they've not played England since I think 2004. I could be wrong. It might be even longer than that. Uh, but certainly since I've been watching football, we've not played Albania. I don't really recognise many of the players. I'm just looking at the squad now. Uh, there's a guy that plays, Kaidi Barre, who I think I've heard of, plays for Espanyol. Um, we've got a Napoli centre-back, Elside, high side in there. I don't actually know how you pronounce that. Uh, but there's certainly not too many players that are going to be um, that recognisable to, to England players. You've got Kumbula, who plays for Roma, and Jamitsi, who plays for Atalanta. So there are a couple of players in there who play at a decent level, um, but I still think it'll be fairly comfortable for England this one. I'm going five. I've gone, yeah, I've gone five nil. Five nil as well for Connor Chappers. Yeah, I'm, an, I'm the same as Connor, really. Albania, for me, very much an unknown quantity, uh, but that's probably to do with the fact that they're not very good, so they're not particularly well-known in, in football in terms. Uh, I'm going to go 4 nils again, slightly more conservative than you two. Um, I don't think, oh well, understandably, I don't think it'd be as many as San Marino. Um, and it is away from home. I know there's no crowds in. I, I assume there's going to be no crowds in Albania anyway, um, but I don't know that for sure. But yeah, away from home, maybe slightly more difficult, 4 nil. 4 nil, Chappers, and uh, then England have got Poland uh, next Wednesday evening. A uh, bit of a surprise, this one, but I'm going for a 2-2 a draw, um, because if Robert Lewandowski is involved, as I assume he will be, I imagine he will be among the goals, and uh, England's firepower, no matter how good it is against San Marino and Albania, it may struggle against Poland, who have a fair few decent players. Obviously, Wojciech Szczesny being one of them between the sticks. Chappers. Uh, I'm going to go for another England victory. Hopefully, we'll make it a hat-trick of victories. Uh, I'm going to go 2-0 England. Um, I think this will be a lot closer than uh, San Marino and Albania. And maybe the 2-0 scoreline will probably um, be a little bit misleading in terms of the performance, but I think it'll be quite close, this one. Uh, but I'm going to go 2-0 all the same. 2-0 England for Chappers and Connor to finish us off for this portion. Yeah, difficult one. I'm going 2-1 to England. I think we'll just come out on top. Lewandowski will probably score. Um, Poland will make it difficult. They're a team that regularly qualify for competitions, so I don't expect a, an easy night. 2-1 for Connor. And uh, we are going to come on to uh, the other score predictions in a minute. But with the international break, it means football form gets a little bit of a break. Uh, and so do we running up to Easter. That mountain that they need to climb is getting steeper every week. I, I honestly, I think we're in big trouble. It's rotten to the core, to be honest. It's not a good time to be a Sheffield United fan. 2-1 defeat away at the Figgin. Connor, uh, Figgin? Figgin, Figgin. <laughs> I don't know. Where's that come I'm from? Tight. The biggest guest. Oh, morning, mate. All right. Cheers, Cheers, guys. Joseph Hadfield. Oh, goodness me. So <laughs> Josh Chapman. Oh, wow. It was... Awful. Connor Thorpe. It was a, an absolutely massive win. Cardinal Reddick. <laughs> <laughs> Cardinal wow. Reddick. I can't believe I've just said <laughs> We are still Sheffield Hallam's number one football show. This is Football Forum. Thursdays from 5.15. Only on Shoe Radio. Yes, Football Forum back next Thursday. So we uh, we have a week and a bit off uh, from... Uh, from podcasting and uh, we will bring you our first show on april fool's day again it's funny that we actually did an april fool's day show last year so uh, our scheduling is strange but never mind on to another round of unpredictable now and um well as i said i get double figures once again and i'm losing 
because you two have both got 11 points this week. So you've just picked me. I got 11, did I? You got 11 points, hey, the pair of I'll you. Um, Chappers, a five-pointer getting Huddersfield Wednesday spot on for you, that 1-1. One, one. Um, and Connor, you got Chelsea's 2-0 victory over United spot on as well. Only, I got every two-pointer apart from both of Wednesday's scores, and it's still not enough to win but there you are so the scores on the doors after however many rounds i think it's 28 i believe it is 28 rounds and the scores are as follows chappers 170 for yourself uh, i am on 204 and connor has an 11 point lead which is exactly what he got last week he is on 215 as we go into round number 29 um for the international break now, we've done England's games and they're predicted. We're going to do one each of the home nations uh, because their games are either to, uh, Wednesday night or Thursday night. Wales is first up and they're taking on Belgium in uh, a repeat of that Euro 2016 semi-final. No, sorry, quarter-final. Uh, I'll, I do get that wrong. Um, now, obviously, Wales will have Aaron Ramsey. Uh, he is in the squad uh, back after that injury. Fingers crossed he can score and then I can rub it in the pair of his faces on next week's programme. I'm not I'm not anti I'm, I'm Aaron Ramsey, you know. If Aaron Ramsey scores, <laughs> well, I am going for a 2-1 victory to Belgium because it's Belgium, isn't it? Um, and I think Wales will struggle uh, despite uh, the performances of Wale- of the Welsh side. Uh, 2-1 Belgium for me, Connor. Uh, 4-0 Belgium, obviously got so much quality and I think it'll be too much for Wales. Connor is going 4-0 Belgium. Chappers? Yeah, I'm going to go somewhere in the middle. I want to say 3-1 Belgium. I think Wales might get a goal, um, but I think Belgium far too good for for Wales. 3-1 Belgium for Chappers. Move onwards to Ireland, the Republic of Ireland. Uh, They are also playing Wednesday night, 7.45 kickoff. This one is on Sky's football channel. The Wales game is on main events. Football channel, this one. And uh, Connor, what are you going for? Yeah, I'm going 1-0 to Serbia. I'm I'm not sure if this record is still standing, but I'm not sure if Ireland have actually scored under Stephen Kenny yet. Um, I don't think they have. Um, You know, the the 0-0 against Bulgaria, the 1-0 defeat at Wales, the 1-0 defeat at Finland... They drew nil nil against Wales in October, which was one of the worst games I have ever had the terrible <laughs> misfortune of watching. I remember watching that; it was it was a die game. I, I, I'm not very enamoured with this island side at the minute and the way they no. play. Serbia watched them against Scotland, and they were pretty terrible as well. So um, I think they'll just have the quality to sneak on side. Who I believe of David McGoldrick has retired, hasn't he? He has. Yeah. So that's a big blow for them as well in terms of going forward because. I think it'd be their best option from an attacking point of view at the minute. So one nil Serbia for Connor. I'm joining the same boat. I think also a one nil Serbia. It isn't going to be a classic this one, is it? Let's be fair. Um, Chappers, uh, can you lighten the mood a little bit? Yeah, I reckon Stephen Kenny's side might actually get their first goal in this one, so I'm going to go one one. Um, but that's as much as I've got to say. I think it will be a dire dire game. I think I can agree with you on that. Uh, Scotland are taking on Austria next up. There are Thursday night's game, 7.45 on the main event channel. Uh, now, I haven't actually wrote my prediction for this yet, so we'll come to Chappers first. 
Yeah, I think Scotland might actually nick this one, which is going to be a rare event for Scotland and a rare occurrence. Uh, I'm going to say 1-0 Scotland. 1-0 Scotland. Now I'm going to go 1-1. Yeah, 1-1 Scotland, Austria for me. Connor? Uh, I'm going to go 3-1 to Austria. I think it'll be fairly comfortable. They've got some really exciting players coming through in Austria. Um, certainly a lot more quality than Scotland and, you know, a couple of decent results, one of them being, on, in fact, was, was it two penalty wins to get Scotland through? Yeah. Was yeah. Worth, so, you know, that's not going to change my opinion too much on Scotland. They are still a pretty shocking team. Um, and, you know, in the Nations League, everyone was saying how bad they are. So that doesn't change from my point of view. Austria have got a lot more quality and I think it'll be fairly comfortable. So 3-1 Austria for Connor. And we'll finish up with Italy. On, uh, on the football channel. They're taking on Northern Ireland uh, on uh, Thursday night's 7.45 action. Um, I can sense a theme coming here, Chappers. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to say 2-0 Italy. Um, Northern Ireland are not a very good football inside and Italy are a better football inside. 2-0. Uh, 2-0 for Chappers. Connor? Yeah, I'm also saying 2-0. You know, Northern Ireland don't have the greatest of players, but... They're, they're an hard-working bunch. They'll probably not be so easy to play against, although I know, you know, I think they took a battering. I can't remember who it was against. I think they lost by quite a few in a recent game, but um, I think they'll be pretty stubborn. They'll be difficult to break down, but ultimately there's a massive gap in quality here and it should be pretty comfortable for Italy without sort of steamroller in Northern Ireland. 2-0 as well for Connor, and I'm going to go 3-0 Italy. I mean... Immobile, Insigne, you got Verratti. I could go on. Uh, but Italy should walk to victory in this one. So 3-0 for me as well. And uh, that's just about it from Football Forum this week. Just before we go, time for the quiz question, Connor. Yeah, any any guesses? I'm going to say Adamola Luckman. Incorrect. But David McGoldrick. Incorrect, because McGoldrick's got one more than the others although Luckman you know you, you're talking the right team there just the wrong player so that'll be the clue that I'll give you um, well I guess it's not Mitrovic um, Richarlison oh, oh no. god who's the bloke I'm thinking oh, god, I think of his name one sec hold the line um, <laughs> Loftus-Cheek incorrect drawn to uh, Cavalero Ashley Barnes did you say Caballero? Yeah, even Caval- even Cavalero. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant Willick. <laughs> no. No, again, that's the right team. Uh, sorry, no. You've, no, that's fine. I was thinking of the Wolves player then. Ignore me. No, it's not. It's uh, the full one is Bobby Reed. Bobby Reed. Yeah. Uh, We've got Bobby five, Dick so can you name the other three, which is two different clubs? Um, I think Black Country. <laughs> well, it's still going to be West Brom, so to... I'm going to say. Uh, yeah, Pereira. Pereira is correct. And then the other. And the other one, I'd imagine Wolves. Yeah. So, Fabio uh, Silva. Neto. I don't. Has Fabio Silva actually scored a Premier League? I think goal? he has. I think he has won. Oh, one. He scored a penalty, didn't it? But it's not. It's not. Sorry. Petro, Pedro Neto. Correct. That's one. Aldi. <laughs> um, Who else are we missing? The other. It's another one. Wolves, another Wolves player. player. It might surprise you actually. Neves. Correct. Is it? Yeah, I think that's a bit surprising because he, he only scored. scores world he's done it, but I think he's yeah. scored a couple of penalties this year. So that always anyway. helps in the penalty taker. Certainly does. Indeed. So the answers are Bobby Decadova, Reed from Fulham, 
Pedro Aldi and Pedro oh, that's so oh, Jesus. Pedro Neto. Perez, Pedro Aldi. Perez, and Pereira from West Brom as well. Uh, <laughs> so that is about as far as we go from football forum for March. Now, uh, we will continue to April because obviously it is the Easter weekend. There's no Mark Duffy heroics this time around. And uh, Sheffield United will be going down a division rather than up. It's the question of what Wednesday do is our interest. And um, we're hoping to be back in the studio. Well, me and Connor anyway. Chappers is still stuck on Zoom. Um, But we're hoping to be back in the studio for uh, the 13th of April. Could be a possibility. So keep that date in your diaries. Uh, But from me, Chappers and Connor and all the team here on Football Forum, we will see you on April Fool's Day. Take care. Good night. Shoe Radio. Bringing you the latest football news from Sheffield and beyond. This is Shoe Football Forum.